Our scripture reading today will be taken from Deuteronomy 32. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going to be looking at the final verses of the 32nd chapter, verses 44 to 52, as we bring this song that Moses wrote to its conclusion. And you follow along as I read the scriptures, starting at verse 44. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he with Joshua the son of Nun, When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess, The Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of the Abarim. Now, the Abarim is like a, it's kind of like a, if you've ever seen mountain ranges, before you get to those peak mountain ranges, you have these flats, or we used to call them out west, benches. And the Abarim is the benches that are before you start going up to the upper part of the mountain. So go up to this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the sons of Israel for a possession, then die on the mountain where you ascend and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died on Mount Or and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, Because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel, for you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving the sons of Israel. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of that text and to the study later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today to acknowledge that you are the great, glorious, and sovereign God. We want to thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace and Thank you so much for sending your precious son to redeem us from the curse of the law. Lord, this Mosaic law shows we're all guilty and shows all of us our need of thy son. And we want to thank you today for the written scriptures. We cannot help but read this passage, but come to the conviction and conclusion that your word is central to our lives. We need it. And we pray, Lord, that we will be very, very serious about your word all the days of our lives. I pray that we would be very serious about accurately understanding it, accurately applying it to our lives as long as you permit us to live. We see in this very passage, that's the key to life. So help us to never lose that focus. I pray when we fail and when we fall short, we'll come under immediate conviction by the Spirit of God. We'll judge ourselves, confess the failures, turn from the sins so that we never have to worry about you judging us. And we want to thank you for those who are here today. We want to thank you for those that are watching on the live stream today. We don't know the needs of all the people that are in this sanctuary this morning or the needs of all those all over the nation watching, but we pray that you would meet all those needs, and we pray today you bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the 70s, when I worked in radio, I used to play songs that we called one-hit wonders. And what I mean by that is... These became a number one hit for the artist, then they never had another number one hit. For example, in the 60s, there was the Cascades who sang Rhythm of the Rain, and the Tremolos who sang Silence is Golden, 
And then when you got into the 70s, there were songs like Harry Chapin's Cats in a Cradle. His wife actually wrote the poem of that. Then he wrote the music to it. Then you have Don McLean, American Pie. He said he wrote that song in one hour. And he still, to this day, draws about $500,000 a year in royalties for that song, American Pie. And then there was Carl Douglas Kung Fu Fighting. I used to play those songs, and people would sing along with them. I would. I'd sit there in the control room, and I'd sing along with them. And even when you hear those songs today, they're enjoyable. They're kind of enjoyable to listen to, and they got a good beat. You sing along with them. They bring back some memories. Not this song of Moses. No way, not this song of Moses. This song that Moses wrote has never taken off. It's never been a big hit with anybody. It was... Moses' one-time song, and it was his last song. It never became a hit. It never made it to the popular charts of people's lives. This song was supposed to be seen and sung and studied and applied. It didn't happen, still hasn't happened. Israel to this day still has not studied this song. In fact, I would say most churches have not studied this song. Most individuals have not studied this song. Not too many even care if they ever see it or hear it again. The fact of the matter is, no one wants to see it, sing it, or hear it. What a tragedy. Because by not learning this song, life becomes a tragedy. In fact, Moses' whole theme in the song is, if you don't apply the song and learn the lessons of the song, your life will become a train wreck. Now, Moses did not just sit down one day and say, I guess I'll write a song. I mean, that gives something to do, something to kill time. He got this as direct revelatory information from Almighty God. And verse 44 says, it came to an end. And after Moses had spoken all these words to the people of the song, him and Joshua got up and they basically finished communicating it to the people. And the tragedy is most of the people didn't read it, didn't think about it, didn't apply it. To this day. In fact, I would go so far as to say you could ask most people, say, where was that song Moses wrote? Hardly anybody could even tell you. But what we learn here is after Moses wrote this song for Israel, he warned her to take God's word seriously because nothing is more important than the words, the words of the written word of God. If there's one theme that this song has developed, it is that theme. Nothing on this earth is more important than the written word of God. Mark that in your brain and in your soul. There's nothing that you will ever pursue with your mind that will be more important than the written word of God. The news is not more important than the written word of God. Politics is not more important than the word of God. Sports is not more important than the word of God. Your career is not more important than the word of God. Your education is not more important than the word of God. Take the words of God seriously. It's your life. That's what the song communicated. And as we come to this part of the 32nd chapter, there are three historical facts that are brought out to us by the Lord. First of all, Moses finished speaking all these words of the song to the people. He spoke them to all the people, the men, the women, and the children, with Joshua at his side. That's what you read in verses 44 and 45. Verse 45, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel. So this verse brings to a conclusion the last hymn or words that were spoken and written by Moses. And in most cases, when you hear Hey, you know, after that songwriter wrote that song, he died. 
He wrote this song and he died. And most people, if they learn that a songwriter had written a song and then they died, they want to hear it. For example, back in the 70s when I was in contemporary radio, one of the most prolific songwriters was Jim Croce. Jim Croce, who actually converted to Judaism, by the way, died in a plane crash on September 20, 1973. And word spread through the media that he'd written some new songs that were going to be released on an album after his death. I mean, radio stations were drooling to get their hands on that album. And the record companies were then working with radio stations to make sure they got first copies so they could play the songs. And one of the songs is, I'll have to say I love you in a song. And people realize, man, he wrote that song just before he died. It's now released. We want to listen to it. We want to see the lyrics to it. Everybody wanted to hear it. People wanted it played on the radio. They'd call in, play that song. Well, Moses wrote this song just before he died. It's the last song he'll write. Not too many even cared if they ever heard it again. It's a solemn moment when Moses and Joshua came out and they read this song. They're standing there together. What you actually have here are two great leaders of God standing side by side. You have the old guard and you have the new one that's going to lead them into the promised land. And you have these two leaders that are standing by, side by side reading to them this song. You would think that somebody would take it seriously. It didn't faze them. You would think someone would say, you know, we ought to remember that. Those two guys thought it was important. They're the great men of God. You have men, women, and children. They're all listening to this. Men, women, and children, they're all watching this. You would think somebody would say, boy, this is the last thing Moses wrote. We better hear this. We better get to know this. But it didn't happen. I mean, leadership can point people to the importance of the word of God, but they just can't make them go there. And by the way, leadership does have the responsibility to point people to the importance of the word of God. And if the Lord tarries, there'll come a day when we'll be at church, we'll sing our final hymn. There'll come a day when we'll go to church, if people even go to church, and they'll sing their final hymn with the people of God. And when it comes time for us to attend our last worship service, I hope God's assessment of every one of us will be, you know what? They took my word seriously. They went to hear it. They wanted to know it. They wanted to learn it. The second historical fact is Moses gives his final admonition to Israel in verses 46 to 47, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land, which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Well, this is it. Moses is getting one final moment to communicate something to Israel, this 120-year-old man who has had an incredible life as a man of God, gets to address the nation one more time. He's thinking through life. He's thinking through what's important. He's thinking through what these people need to know as they go forward in life. And there are two admonitions he gives them. Number one, take to heart all the words which I'm warning you. That's what he says. Take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today. Two things just jump out at us. 
God's word is comprised of words, debarim, words, plural. See, this is why we analyze structure of sentences here. I mean, this is why we analyze Hebrew and Greek. This is why we parse verbs. This is why we look at conjunctions and we analyze adjectives and we look for nouns and subjects and verbs and objects. I mean, this is why we take a grammatical analysis of all of these things because God's word is comprised of literal words. And secondly, God's word is comprised of solemn warnings. God's word is not written to be some fun book for entertainment, for coloring. This book is to be taken very seriously. How much of it is to be taken seriously? All the words. All the words is what Moses says. As Moses is nearing his death, he knew the value of knowing and observing all the words of the law of God, all the words of the word of God. I mean, he didn't tell the people, now listen, when you get over there, pick a few favorite verses. Or pick a book you like. You know, I wrote five, Genesis through Deuteronomy. So pick one of those books that's your favorite and just, just spend time in that. He said, you take all the words seriously. And over and over again, Moses stressed the point that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, reinforced that very point when he said that very thing. He said it in a, an attack that was being made against him by Satan. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Most people just don't understand this. They get sidetracked from this. I mean, they think church is about entertaining them. It's not. It's about the word of God that's been inspired by God. The church is to be a place where the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that can cut into souls, where that word of God is carefully taught and expounded. It's the word of God that has the power to create faith. It's the word of God that can change lives. It's one thing to read the words of the Bible. It's another to take them to heart. And Moses said, you need to take to heart all the words of God. Take to your heart all the words. All the words. And then he says, command your sons to carefully observe all the words. In verse 46, which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe even all the words of this law. He repeats that. I'll tell you this. One of the biggest satanic lies that's ever been told is you don't need to take the Bible seriously. You don't need to take the words seriously. Oh, take the concepts, draw a few concepts like the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that's a good thing for you to think about, good way to live life. But you don't really need to take all the words of God's words seriously. God says, oh boy, you take them seriously. And Moses brings out four facts about the written word of God in this text. Number one, there's not an idle word in the group. He says in verse 47, for it is not an idle word for you. I want you to clearly understand this. That word idle in Hebrew means there are no words in God's word that are light, fluffy, flippant, or meaningless. 
There are no words in the Bible that don't have a meaningful content. All words that comprise the whole of Scripture have meaningful content. God's Word is authoritative on every subject. God's Word is not meaningless on every book, every chapter, every paragraph, every sentence. It's God's truth and it's important. You can count on the fact that God's Word is true, always. If it talks about creation, stand on what the Bible says. It's telling you the truth. If it talks about salvation, not coming from your works or from the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, believe that with all your heart, because that's the truth. If it describes heaven and hell, take it literally, take it seriously. It's telling the truth. There are no words in the Bible that are meaningless words. And Earl Callan said in his commentary, those words, the bar wreck, idle words, mean there are no empty, worthless, unprofitable words at all in God's word. In fact, Proverbs says every word of God is tested. It's not open for debate. It's not open to human opinion. Every word has been carefully put into the scriptures by God, and Moses wanted the people to realize that. He's saying you need to understand this. You need to understand and take to heart the fact that these words, all of these words, are important words that are in the word of God. Take it seriously. Now, if you really believe that, you'll see the value of systematic study of the scriptures. You'll begin to realize, boy... It's important that we see how that four connects to the previous clauses. It's important that we go grammatically through a text of Scripture and understand exactly what's there. I mean, if you really think that there are no idle words in the Bible, you'll have to go to work on understanding every single one of those words and what they mean in their context so we can come to a true interpretation of what God is saying. Moses is writing his last song to the people saying, there are no idle words in the Bible. Secondly, God's word is your life. He says in verse 47, indeed, it is your life. You know, many people have a perspective of the Bible. Oh, it's okay for those that need some help. Oh, it's okay for the sick people if they want it read to them when they're in the sick bed. It's okay for people if they're dying. If they want that read to them, that's a good thing to do. It's an upbeat type of thing to do with people that are dying. And it's important as people get older that they have a handle on something. And so the Bible is really important for them. But it's not for the successful people. It's not for the rich and famous the Bible offers nothing to them. It is your life. It's your life. First of all, this book of Moses that he's writing here is part of the Old Testament law. And that Old Testament law is designed to show we're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have hit the bullseye of the righteousness of God perfectly. So the law of God shows that we're all guilty, shuts every one of our mouths, and that points us to Jesus Christ. 
and our need to believe on Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law, nailed it to the cross. And so by looking at the law of God and at the words of God, we learn the law shows we're guilty. Christ can save us from the law. Christ can save us from sin. Christ can save us from eternal death. So we focus on the written word of God that teaches us all of that. That's our life. But beyond that, let me just tell you what the Bible will do for you. If that's not enough. The Bible will make you the best person you can ever be in your life. If you take God's word seriously, it'll make you a better businessman. If you take God's word seriously, it'll make you a better employee. If you take God's word seriously, it'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife. It'll make you a better citizen. If you take God's word seriously, it will make you a better student. In other words, what you'll discover is, this Bible is my life. It'll lead me to the best possible life I can have. It can lead you in ways that make you physically healthy. It will lead you in ways that make you spiritually healthy and it can give you an abundant life. That all comes from the words written in the scriptures. So, if you spend your time and invest your time understanding the scriptures, you'll see this is the key to your life. So when you're out there in the world, and you're out there pursuing your career, and you're involved in all kinds of things, don't lose sight of this book. Those words are your life. They're the key to eternal life. They're the key to an abundant life. The third fact, Moses said, is that if you take the word seriously, when you get over in the land, that'll prolong your life. That's what he says there in verse 47. And it says, this word will prolong the days in the land. What he's telling Israel here is if you will take the word of God seriously, it's going to have a tremendous effect on you, a tremendous medicinal effect on you. If you take it seriously and you obey the word of God, it will be healing to your soul and in other areas of life. I am totally convinced that many people have gone to an early grave because they would not take the word of God seriously. Generally speaking, if you purpose to take God's word seriously and obey it, if you get serious about the scriptures, you will have a good, long, productive, enjoyable life. That's the way it works. So we've seen that over and over again in scores of people right here in this church. And the fourth fact is God's word will be the key to you possessing the land. It's the key to you prolonging your days in the land which you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. You know, it's just a shame that somebody who's going to one of those synagogues doesn't say to the Jewish leadership, hey, could you take us to that song of Moses there in Deuteronomy 32 that tells us we're supposed to be in the land, prospering in our land. Could you study that and explain that? Israel's religious leaders, for the most part, have not taken God's word seriously. And I know we have some people that are downloading some studies right now in Israel, but I am telling you the truth. Israel's religious leaders, for the most part, are not taking God's word seriously. They don't study it systematically. I've told you this before. It's worth repeating. One of the oldest synagogues in the United States is in Savannah, Georgia. 
It was built in 1733. We toured it when we were staying at my brother-in-law and sister's condo when they owned it on Tybee Island. We went into Savannah to tour that synagogue, and I asked the Jewish tour guide, do your rabbis take you ever straight through a book like Isaiah? His answer was one I'll never forget. He said, no, that'd be too much work for him. It's exactly what he said. No, that'd be too much work for them. He said, our rabbis are mostly into ritualistic things. They don't get into carefully studying the scriptures. Yet here's Moses, Moses, telling Israel, studying the scriptures is the key to you having your land. You would think that religious leaders in Israel would want to know this info. But they don't. The third fact is God gave Moses his final instructions in verses 48 to 52. It was time for Moses to leave. His work is about done. He had written five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's now in the final moments of writing his last thing he would ever write. He's written his last song. It's time for him to die. His death is not a surprise. He's 120 years old. He's had a good life, a long life. God revealed that it was time for him to die. He had a special connection to God. This is direct revelation, by the way, between God and Moses. And God spoke to Moses. And there are five specific instructions that he gives him in the finale of his life. Number one, he says, go up on the mountain which is opposite Jericho. Go up on the mountain which is opposite Jericho. Verse 49 says that. Go up on this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho. Now, as I mentioned, Abarim means there's a high plains area, a high plateau area, located east of the Dead Sea, east of the Jordan River, and then this mountain ascends from there, and this particular mountain, Mount Nebo, elevates to a peak elevation of about 2,600 feet. It's located about 20 miles from Jericho, which is modern-day Jordan. This is where this mountain range sits today, and when one is on that mountain, you can look into the valley across the Jordan River, and you can see the Promised Land. In fact, I would encourage you, go online, you can see the same view Moses saw. Go online later this afternoon as you're humming those songs we've mentioned, and while you're online looking at this, look up Mount Nebo and the Jordan River, and you'll see exactly what Moses saw, the same sight he saw. Secondly, look at the land I'm given. Israel for a possession. He says that in verse 49. And look at the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the sons of Israel for a possession. God wanted Moses to realize, you're not a failure, Moses. You got them here. You're not a failure. You made it. You led them here to the promised land. You got them here. It took over 40 years. Man, it was tough. Tough 40 years, but you finally made it. You made a great impact on this nation, Moses. Take a look at this. You've got them here. They're going into that land. Thirdly, you're going to be gathered to your people when you die. He says that in verse 50. Then die on the mountain where you ascend and be gathered to your people. Death is not the end. Death means you leave this earth, you change places of residency. And you leave this earth, the immaterial part of you, your soul and your spirit leaves this earth and you relocate and in this case, there would be a relocation to a great family gathering of believers. Now, Moses had already developed the theology of this in his previous writings. For example, in Genesis, Abraham died and was gathered to his people. That's what Moses wrote. 
Ishmael died, was gathered to his people. Isaac died and was gathered to his people. Jacob died, was gathered to his people. Aaron died and was gathered to his people. And now it's Moses' turn. What he had taught the people for years, he was not going to experience. And it doesn't matter how great the man or impacting the man or woman, death tracks them down. If the Lord tarries, and we're not raptured, which I think we could be soon, but if we're not raptured, sooner or later, death is going to track us down. But when it tracks us down, it's not the end. In studying the words of God, we learn for a New Testament believer in Christ to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We also learn from Paul's writings, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And when we get near death, if our mind is still firing on all cylinders, we'll probably think about our faults and failures. We'll probably roll through our minds, I should have done this, I shouldn't have done that. I should have been this way and I I wasn't. When you have those thoughts and failures, you can know another truth Paul taught. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Where do we get that? From the words of the Bible. From the words of Scripture. His fifth instruction is, you'll not go into the land because you didn't reverence me before the people. At that Meribah episode. Verses 51 to 52. Moses' death is, and I don't want to minimize what God's saying here, but Moses was an awesome man of God. Don't ever lose sight of this. There's not another guy on this earth that was in his league. He was an awesome man of God. His death is honorable. It's merciful. But it's judicial. Just as ours will be. It will be judicial. In the sense, there's an appointment. Because we're all sinners, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, there's an appointed moment in which we're going to die if we're not raptured. And there are two issues that God brings up here to Moses for which he held him accountable. Number one, you broke faith with God. That's what he says in verse 51, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel. Now those words broke faith, but all in Hebrew are very serious. It's a word that describes what God considers to be a treacherous, faithless act. I mean, that's how serious that was. This particular word was used in the context of a wife being unfaithful to her husband and of Israel forsaking God. I mean, this word would be used in regard to Achan's sin. God did not view what Moses did publicly as a light issue. He gave Moses a direct order. And a direct order is you speak to that rock. That's a direct order from me, and I will allow water to flow out of that rock. And instead of speaking to the rock, which is what God told him to do in front of all the people, he hit it twice. The second issue is he didn't treat God as holy. He says in verse 51, you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. Listen, I think we need a good dose of what is said here. Hallowed be his name. He is a holy God. He's not to be brought down to our level. He is a holy God. And God's leader has a responsibility to specifically show the importance of the word of God and reverence God in front of the people of God. 
And I am convinced in light of this text that every leader who's ever stood before people in a pulpit is going to be held accountable for how seriously he took the responsibility in leading people to a reverent understanding of God and his word. God does not want his leader treating him lightly or disrespectfully. A minister's job is not to entertain a crowd. A minister's job is to accurately handle the scriptures that promotes a reverence for God and his word. And when Moses, who's one of a handful of awesome men of God who've ever been on this earth, struck that rock twice at Meribah Kadesh, after God specifically said, speak to the rock, it was a major, blatant, public disregard for God and his word. And God took that seriously. Moses took that seriously. And it cost him. God had actually spoke to Moses and said, Stand before the people and speak to the rocks. So it will yield water. And that will demonstrate my power. It will demonstrate the power of the spoken word. And for a sinful man to interject his works such as striking the rock is a true disregard of the holiness of God. He had a momentary loss of temper, but this shows you how holy and sovereign God is. So as a result, God said in verse 52, you'll see the land, but you're not going into the land. You'll see the land, but you won't go into it. But in all reality, you're going to go to a place far better than the land. You're going to go to Abraham's bosom, and later he would show up at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing is crystal clear from this passage of Scripture. God's word better be taken seriously. In fact, if you ever go to a church and it's not taking God's word seriously, get out of there. Get out of there. If you're not in a place where you're being taught to reverence God, get out of there. You don't want to hang around a place like that. God's not going to say, well done, to that type of operation. No one, I mean no one, has kept the words of the law perfectly. We've all failed God. That law can't save us. I mean, it couldn't save Moses. That law will condemn us, and that is why Jesus Christ came into this world to redeem us. And when you believe on him... You are forever saved from sin. You are forever saved from the law. Take those words to heart and you'll be blessed. Back in 1951, there was a man whose name was Artie Glenn who wrote a song for his son, Daryl. He said, I always want my son to remember this. Artie had been a songwriter, musician, and he got sick. He had a serious spinal surgery in which he thought he was going to die. It caused him to think about his relationship with the Lord, and he yielded his life to the Lord. He'd been a drunk in Texas for 30 years. A drunk. He sang his songs that he wrote in nightclubs and bars, and then through this surgery, he decided, I need to get back to the Lord. I've wandered away here. So... He went back to church because he wanted to refocus his life on becoming a godly man. And one Sunday, he walked into a church in Fort Worth, Texas, and sat down. He heard the word of God preached. And the pastor, whose name was Bill Anders, said as he looked down and saw him in the front pew, he was praying and tears were streaming 
right out of his eyes. He ended up writing in just a short time, within minutes, this little poem. You saw me crying in the chapel. The tears I shed were tears of joy. I know the meaning of contentment. Now I'm happy with the Lord. Just a plain and simple chapel where humble people go to pray. I prayed the Lord that I'll go stronger as I live from day to day. I searched and I searched, but I couldn't find no way on earth to find peace of mind. Now I'm happy in the chapel where people are of one accord. Yes, we gather in the chapel just to sing and praise the Lord. That song that he wrote for his son was recorded by many artists and became a number one song in Australia, Ireland, Italy, Norway, the Ukraine, and the USA in 1965. But he wrote the song for his son, Daryl. He wanted him to remember the importance of keeping his focus on the Word of God. But Daryl, he just seemed to get a little sidetracked. His dad wrote that song for him in 1951, and he decided to make a recording of it a couple of years before he got out of high school. He recorded it in 1953, and the recording of that song just started selling thousands, and that led him to go on a music tour And he was able to tour around the United States and Canada. He appeared with Bob Hope and Ray Stevens and Jerry Reed. I don't know the full story. I couldn't find out the full story on what happened to him. If he ever got serious about God and his word, he was certainly not known for that, but he got cancer. And on April 9, 1990, he died at the age of 55. I'm not sure... The song his dad wrote for him changed him much. I'm not sure it ever prompted him to focus on the word of God. It wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. Because 3,500 years before Artie Glenn wrote that song for his son, Moses wrote one for Israel. And in that song, he told them, A relationship with God and the Word of God is the key to your life. It's the key to your contentment. It's a key to your satisfaction. It's a key to your blessings. But Israel didn't listen. So the real question we have to ask ourselves is, will we? Do you know the Lord today? Look, that law Moses wrote shows we're all guilty. Death is tracking us down. It's a judicial punishment for sin. We've all sinned. We're all going to be tracked down by death if the Lord doesn't rapture us. Come to faith in Christ right now. And from here on out, take the written word of God seriously. You will find joy, happiness, fulfillment, and life. May we pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, settle up right now. Settle it right where you sit. You'll become the best you you can ever be with Jesus Christ in your life at the helm. So if you've never invited him in, invite him in right where you sit. Just admit you're a sinner. Invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior. Perhaps you've wandered away. You want the Lord to retake over your life. Ask him to do it right now.
Our Father, we thank you for this great book of Deuteronomy. We thank you for Moses. We thank you for the life he led, for the things he taught. We thank you for the man he was. What a great honor it will be to get a glimpse of him one day when we're on the other side of life. And we look forward to that moment. In the meantime, Lord, I pray we would be people who will take your words seriously, all of them. Every book of the Bible will take it seriously. I pray we do our best to, by the power of the Spirit of God, apply things and principles and words to our lives. For anything that you've done today, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.